Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on what time of day you're listening. Welcome back to yet another episode of We Got This. Today I'm talking to Paola Cristal, who is the people manager at Thin Slices and oversees everything to do with the HR strategy as well as the implementation and any activities and initiatives related to team performance and company culture. In our conversation, Paula shares her journey from being a passionate marketer to working in HR. And I think it's a fascinating story of self-discovery, self-awareness, and facing some of the challenges that come along with a career change when you realize that what you wanted to do for so many years no longer fits with your needs and what your values and what is important to you. And I think it's a, something that many people will be able to relate to. We also talk about a transition that happened at Thin Slices, and that was in relation to one of their values, because they shifted from transparency to openness. Now, for many people, that's often one and the same, when in reality, the answer is a little bit more nuanced than that. And Paula shares what that means, how it related to what they do as a company and their company culture, how it impacted the people and some of the initiatives that they focus on. Paula also tells us about a benefit that they've offered to their employees to help them deal with everything that's been going on in the world in the last uh, couple of years. Here's my conversation with Paola Cristal. Enjoy. We Got This showcases individuals and organizations that create people-focused workplace cultures to help it become the norm rather than the exception. It's something that will require a mindset shift and probably not something that any of us can do alone. But together, together, we got this. The usual first question for any guest is, when you were little, what did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be a lawyer. I think the, the position in my mind was something of a, an independent person who had a lot of control over their life, someone who could help people, but I think also someone who did paperwork. Because I remember as a kid trying to make fake papers and signing them. And I actually had a, a, a small cat and the cat was attacked by a dog and it died. And I was very sad. So I made a death certificate for my cat and I signed it as the mayor of the city. So, so I like doing paperwork for some reason and helping people. I wanted to be a lawyer. And this actually led to me going to law school, which was a very important experience. I really enjoyed law school, but I don't think I would have enjoyed being an actual lawyer. I think at the end of college, when I went into courtrooms and started working, having some sort of internship with a lawyer, I realized that the actual life of a lawyer wasn't really compatible with who I wanted to be. I felt like I needed something a bit more creative. So I didn't end up being a lawyer, but I really did love law school. Okay. Wow. That's, it wasn't just a dream that you've had, something that you wished you wanted to be. You actually went through with a big chunk of becoming a lawyer, including law school and everything else. That's, yeah, that's, that's brilliant. Because a lot of people, when I ask this question, they say, oh, I wanted to be a vet. I wanted to be a pilot or whatever, you know, the kind of some of the classic ones, but then very rarely do people do anything towards them throughout that, throughout their lives, which is, which is in a way quite normal when we're little, we've got all sorts of dreams and then life happens and, and we either get encouraged by life or people around us, or we make a choice to go somewhere else, but you have gone and actually 
done stuff towards becoming a lawyer, which is, which is brilliant. And then I think what is even more fascinating is that you've realized actually this doesn't suit me and it's not what I want to do. This is what I want to be, which is something again, that not many people do because we often get stuck off, oh, you know, I've been to law school for five years, I've done practices for two years and whatever, might as well continue rather than being strategic and quitting as Seth Golden says, it's like strategic quitting and goes like, actually, no, just because I've done 75% of the work doesn't mean that I have to complete it if it's not worth it, if the benefits are not there, if it requires too much investment and so on and so forth. And I think that's an important skill to have, to have that strategic quitting, quitting uh, ability, but also knowing what it's important to you. And clearly you, you did know that that's brilliant. I'm so grateful for that moment because as a person, I hate to quit anything, even a book that I'm reading and something that no one forced me to read. I hate quitting anything. So I, I surprised myself in this decision. I, I'm still, I think the exercise that I did at that time was to imagine myself um, 10 years from that point and trying to figure out a day in the, in my life as a lawyer. So waking up, grabbing coffee, what type of family would I have? How would the, the trip to work look like? How would the, um, my morning be at work? I remember imagining tons of files and just a stack of papers on my desk. And then in my mind, I would finish work at about 7, 8 p.m., get home when it was dark, trying to say hello to my family, but being mentally exhausted because every paper in the stack would have been a life or a family or someone. So I think that in my mind, it wasn't the person I wanted to be. I, I, I didn't have the energy and the attention for my family as well. And I think that's where the clash of values happened between what I wanted to be and learn and what I thought was very important, which was family. So uh, after this exercise, I decided, okay, maybe it's, maybe my days should be a bit more colorful, more creative with maybe less responsibility over other people's lives. And just enough time and mental energy to invest into creating a family for myself. But in a way, you've still kind of gone into the people's element, helping, supporting other people in the role that you do. I think like being a, a people's person, quite literally, in the people's department, which kind of you, you, you maintain that, which is, which is really important. But I'm curious whether there's anything prompted that exercise or did you, was it just one day it's like, no, I want to have this exercise or did something happen in your life that kind of encouraged you that way as often is the case? Yeah, I think the whole experience of going into a courtroom and listening in on a couple of trials. And then I had a very short internship with a judge and it was just overwhelming. The It wasn't the movie type of lawyer or judge. It wasn't the American version that I was so fascinated by as we all were. It was just all very very rough and sad and difficult and the sheer volume of work was just, I felt like there was this aura of unhappiness and families being broken and people focusing on everything that was negative about the human nature. And it was something that really turned me off from this career. So basically expectation met reality and reality did not match up uh, right, with what right. you expected. Because it was criminal passionate, most passionate about. So it was the ugly side of, of 
how humans can behave. And I think maybe the ideal version that I had in my mind was a bit more maybe on a commercial lawyer side, maybe something about intellectual property. So maybe the, 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 the lawyer, the kid imagined was someone dressed nicely, going to an office job and me, maybe being a corporate lawyer. During college, I realized I really liked criminal law, but then the reality of criminal law was maybe not the best for me. Yeah, maybe I couldn't handle it. Who knows? You, you never know, but it's still nonetheless very, very impressive to have that self-awareness and the ability to not just to, to be aware of that, but also to kind of do something about it, reflect and make that decision. It's, it's very, very tough, as many people will know. But I think going forward for many people these days and to year and years and decades to come, this is going to be very, very important because we are going through, or they are going, I'm talking about the pre, kind of younger generation peoples and coming out of university, people in the mid, mid-20s, is they are going through that and will continue to go in that direction where they will be lo- working much longer than potentially you and I or, or people slightly older than us who will be retiring around 65, 70. The younger generations will be working for longer. So the ex- experimentation period will be much longer so they will continue to go into their 20s and 30s and it's about having that ability to say what do i want what's my need and not only that yeah. is sitting down and looking at exactly what you've described as well, what you've done and make that tough choice so i feel that the university the educational system as a whole doesn't equip us with that to, or them to be able to do that i, I def- de- definitely didn't feel equipped to do that i had to acquire these skills i don't know what it's like exactly at university and school i can imagine it hasn't changed that much to for them to be able unless you, you're talking about certain uh, methodology like montessori or some other then maybe but traditional systems i don't think so so we're interesting seeing to see how things develop it does sort of tie in with what you and I agreed to talk about very, very loosely, but I think it's still nonetheless important that the element of self-awareness, values, needs, and how does it all connect to us as individuals and in organizations. But maybe where, before we jump into what you and I mentioned that we'll, we'll talk about, could you tell us a little bit more about what Thin Slices does and as, as an organization, as, as a company and uh, your role in the organization as well? Yeah. So Testlistis is a software development company. We offer software development services for a lot of startups, especially in Europe and the United States. We work with startups who have just an idea and want to create a product from zero. We also work with startups who have invested in creating a prototype or an MVP and want to develop it. And we also work with corporate innovation groups within bigger companies where they also want to explore a new product, a new technology. And that's where we come in because we've, over the past 11 years, we've standardized our processes so that we have a clear roadmap of how they can get from zero to one to their first product or how they can scale up an existing software that they have. The clients we work with are mainly in the fintech industry, a lot of them. We're a team of about 90 people, I would say, right now, and we're steadily growing. We're very passionate. We started as this small local company in Yash, Romania. So from two or three developers 11 years ago, now we have, we just opened an office in Berlin and we're looking into Portugal for the third one. And it's just, I feel like it's still this vibe of a small local company who has a very think culture that I love and identify with. 
I feel like our culture is based around a couple of values who are very easily translated into personal values as well. And I think this is the key to our current success, the people we have, the amazing people we have, and this culture that we hold very dear and do our best to keep as a thriving culture, but it's ever evolving. So this is us in a nutshell. Excellent. And what about your role in all of this? Where, where, where do you fit in? So I joined the company as an employer branding specialist because I had previously worked with the company from a position of digital marketing. And back in college, around the second or third year, I realized maybe it's time to explore some other avenues. I was also fascinated about public relations and marketing and felt some sort of a connection to copywriting and social media. So I started volunteering for a student's organization. And in my three years in that organization, I learned marketing by doing. I learned by reading, by finding mentors, alumni in other companies, by making small projects, bigger projects, being part of different teams. And so my background is in marketing, actually. My first job was in digital marketing. And this is how I met in Slices. So we collaborated on several marketing projects. And three years ago, I joined them as an employer branding specialist. Um, it was more of an experiment because they have, they didn't have the position. They sort of invented it, found me and we were like, so should we try this? I haven't done this before. Well, we haven't done this before either. So we tried it after one year, I kept poking my nose into all areas of the company. So I used to, as a digital marketer, I used to be an, a content editor and content creator for an employee engagement blog. And over the course of five years, I wrote and interviewed and read about employee engagement and company culture and what makes people tick at work and what is happiness at work. So these were all concepts that I knew about at a theoretical level. And when I got to 10 slices, this was the chance to experiment with them. So what I did was that I started looking into, okay, how is a team managed? How are the processes? How's, how does learning happen in this company? How are people being promoted? What are their benefits? So I went beyond communicating. This is who we are, a software company, and we'd like to hire as many developers as possible. I went into what makes us who we are, and I tried to try to work on our employer, our brand as an employer, both from within and then to convey it in the outside environment. So this made me kind of rewrite my own job. And I ended up being people managed just by sheer force of bringing responsibilities into my bag. And now as a people manager, I oversee the employer branding part, the recruitment and onboarding, which is very, very high volume work right now in today's market. But I also work with our CTO, for example, for our learning initiatives. And of course, everything regarding internal communication, culture and events, and everything that leads to employee retention and hopefully ambassadorship. This is my job as I wrote it. I'm still working on it. 
it's 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 still a, a work in progress. There's there's two things that I wanted to say. First of all, uh, the way you described obviously the, the 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 lawyer path and you changed the career. Now how you got into this role that you're in now, it just reminds me of the Steve Jobs approach. He just basically bend the the reality of the world to his own kind of world, what he wanted to be. And it's kind of very reminiscent where you've done the same. So you wanted this role, you've kind of created all of that, which is which is which is absolutely amazing. And the second part is that you, you got involved in, in so many things and as a person with a marketing background, myself included, what is it about marketing people where we kind of like to get involved in all sorts of parts of the business, right? I think that's what good marketing is about. It is not just one thing. It needs to understand the whole business. But again, having worked in marketing for many, many years, transitioned to what I do now, I, I, I can so relate to that aspect. Oh, how does this work? What about that? Is there, you know, pieces of a jigsaw puzzle coming together, which is, which is, which is brilliant. Again, similar to, to the lawyer journey that you mentioned earlier, a fantastic journey that you've had with, with, the, with the job that you do now. And you mentioned, obviously, there's a lot of things that you've done. Culture is important, a lot of initiatives and that. And when we were chatting off the air, you did mention, obviously, what's been going on within the organization over the past two years, which kind of talking about that, it's at this moment in time, sometimes I feel like it's a bit of a cliche because two years, the last two years have been very topsy-turvy, to say the least, for, for most organizations, most people, obviously, for, for obvious reasons. And everybody has done and gone through a lot. And But you've mentioned when we were talking about some of the values that the company, not only just the initiatives, but the values that the company has sort of shifted, changed a little bit to represent what's going on, what's important to the organization as a whole, but also the employees around transparency and openness. Would you be able to tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. So I think, first of all, I'm very grateful for the values we have and the culture we have, because I think it's the reason why these past two years have been manageable. So we currently have five values, and these are the result of an exercise that we did a couple of years ago when we tried to implement EOS, which is the Entrepreneurial Operating System. And as part of that exercise in 2018, I think, we defined the vision for the company and a new set of values. So for example, openness, the value that we talked about off air is the newer cousin of transparency, which is the value we've had as a company before and has now shifted to openness. So I think the values came as an exercise of who we are as a company back in 2018, what represents us. They came as the as the result of a group effort. So all the employees came together and talked about what kind of behaviors we want to promote and the behaviors we already have that make us work well together and enjoy working together every day. So they kind of came from a downward motion of, and I think they're this great filler of what we do every day. And what was kind of the, the motivation between, because a lot of organizations talking, yeah, we, you know, transparency is important to us and we don't hide anything. We share everything within the organization, within the team. But I've got, I've got a feeling that differences, that there's a fundamental difference between what the definitions of, of transparency are between teams and between organizations. So I'm curious, what, what did transparency mean to you? Why did you feel? important that it's necessary to, to change it to something else and, and 
what openness means as a, as a result of that. Transparency was this common language that we had when the company was smaller in size. So everyone knew everyone and we were kind of used to one another. It was a small local company and it just made sense for us that we share everything, the information we have, the results we have, and it brought us a lot of, a lot of synergy, so to say. So it was something embedded in, in the company. I think it came from the founders from one of their personal values, perhaps, and then translated into, we want people to be informed, to have all the knowledge they need to do their work and to have everyone feel like they, they know how the company is run. They understand what role they play. And we wanted them to feel like they have this information at all times. Over, over time, I think one of the downsides of complete transparency is information overload. As the company grew bigger, the more we communicated or maybe over-communicated everything, I think it led to the sense of too much information and people not knowing exactly how to filter it. I have all this information. How does this apply to me? What can I use from this? How can I, and I think it, it just diminished the focus from their day-to-day -day work at some point because it was just a lot of information and the energy that went into processing it might have been invested better elsewhere. Another reason was transparency is very easy. It leads to decision by committee on every single topic, which is a very painful thing to go through. And I, I think it, it led to slower decision-making processes, difficulty in finding people accountable for making something happen. Because you had access to all the information, you could express an opinion, but at the end of the day, no one would be in charge of implementing that idea. So our transition to openness was an attempt to keep people informed, but not have them overloaded and stressed and feeling, having confusion as a result of information. So these sometimes reside in communicating the right information and the way that we understand openness now is that we define it with three action phrases. One is sweep nothing under the rug. So if something goes wrong, just tell someone we're going to find a way to fix it. The second one is empowered by sharing information, which is again, it has this element of relevancy. Is this information relevant to you? Does it help you either to give you peace of mind or to help you do your job better, but it has to be relevant to you and not feel like another layer of stress or something extra aside from your job. And the third one is to be receptive to feedback and new ideas. Feedback is one of the very important behaviors that we encourage in almost every shape or form. We have this, we use a tool, we use Office Vibe for anonymous feedback and for pulse, pulse surveys, but we also encourage people to give feedback the old fashioned way. So when a situation arises, just offer feedback, be constructive, try to focus on what can be improved for, for the future. So I think these three phrases are our way of defining openness within the company. Right. Thank you very much for, for, for the detailed kind of background for that, because I think it's important and you're absolutely right that transparency often leads to over communicating. And it took me back straight away to, unfortunately, two years ago, the start of the pandemic, right? Everybody all of a sudden go in working from home and from 
organizations and teams that always have used to be working in the office. And one of the main things, one of the main pieces of advice the managers were given is over communicate, over communicate in this period of time. And I was one of the people advocating for that. And I think at that stage, it was important because it's a new environment for everybody. We don't know what's going on. Make sure that everybody's there. But there, there was a point where that needed to stop and move on to different types of community, different types of engagement and interacting with people when continuing to work from home. And I think many organizations didn't stop that. That was the problem. They continued over communicating and that led to all sorts of different problems, which some of which you've, you've described as well. I love the, the three values, the three aspects, the action words as you describe them that you've got. I think that they, they are really important and how long if you could, if it's possible to put kind of a time stamps on, on this, how long did that transition from transparency and openness uh, take within an organization? Or are you, is it still ongoing? Still, it's, it's ongoing. Some of the older employees, including some of the first employees, will always have an emotional connection to transparency. In their heart, they feel that transparency is and will always be a value. And the way that they understand it is more, has more of a personal filter than the official one given by us. I think this is still something we're working on to have everyone aligned on one definition of the word, because we can, each of us can have an interpretation of what transparency means or of what openness means. And this is why we try to define it in three action phrases. I think it took us, I would say two years to make this transition in a way that feels organic, that feels natural. We didn't want to, and we're not the type to just put the values on a wall and then repeat them every chance we get, which is, I know is a very healthy behavior. But what I mean is we didn't try to force them on people. We tried to incorporate them in every process at every step so that it makes sense. So. The way we check for these values is in the recruitment process. We then move on to the onboarding where we also try to keep these values in mind. And then from every process and every step of the journey that an employee has, we try to see how are these values reflected and how can we improve based on them. So basically the word, the, the route that you've gone down is living the values rather than just talking about them, which is obviously the, the the right way of doing it. A lot of organizations do put their values as opposed to on a wall that everybody walks past whenever they enter the office or visit the website or whatever on the internet and see it on the company intranet, but nothing really happens with it. And that's usually the the challenge there, isn't it? That we, we've got these values great, but no one really kind of remembers them, but not to mention actually doing things or living by them, which is, which is an important distinction. And so I'm guessing, as you, as you mentioned, you recruit for this part of the onboarding process. So it's as if it's a, it's, it's an ongoing transition because as you mentioned, the organ, the older employees still have connection with that, but the newer ones, you are new people coming on board. You are on board in such a way that they are aligned with the, with the new values. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. That's what we're trying to do. I feel like values are a very important spice. It should be subtle and somehow you shouldn't know that there's a spice that makes your food taste so, so good. I feel like they have to be a bit invisible so that they work. I think the more I try, especially in the online environment, because for the past two years, all new hires have been hired and onboarded within, in an online process. 
it's very difficult because it's a serious topic and it's not something you just blurt in a meeting or someone has to have the emotional openness to talk about a value, something important. And it's very difficult in the online environment to try to make the context for these types of conversation to take place. So I think this way of using them in a more invisible way so that they still work and align people is a good way to try in the online environment. One of my favorite ways of describing, defining what values are is alluding to what you said, that they are a spice. There's something invisible, something in the background. So my, my favorite definition is that values are something that we use without even knowing unconsciously when we have a difficult decision, moral decision to make, and we're not sure which one to take. And that's what kind of guides us to, to a decision one way or another. And usually without even realizing when it's an ambiguous situation, we tend to make, we make a decision and the reason we made that decision over a different one is because it's connected to our values, whether we realize what our values are on a personal level, not an organization level, but on a personal level, what's important to us in our lives. And with organizations, it's probably something similar because when you've got individuals in an in organization, the team, when they make decisions of how they interact, how they lead projects and how they lead people and so on and so forth, they are subconsciously guided by whatever the values are within, within the organization. So presumably would work the same uh, way. You've mentioned the action phrases, you mentioned the onboarding, the recruitment, all fantastic initiatives. Are there any other things that you, you, you continue doing, or you might start doing in, in to, to help people align with the new values of openness over, over transparency? Well, I think this also connects to the past two years in the pandemic and the context we're in. We've tried to create this space for, for people to be able to express how they feel and try to manage stress, anxiety, and especially uncertainty. And one of the initiatives that we experimented with in 2020 was to offer people access to a psychologist, a therapist. We wanted to see if maybe this is one way where we can support them after sending them to work from home and trying to stay connected and communicate with the, about everything that was going on. So we tested this initiative for three months and uh, we had positive results. We had not a lot of people accessed this, which was interesting to me because my expectation was that maybe 20, 30% of the company would like to benefit from this. But in fact, it was just nine people, I think, in the beginning. But still, I think this really made a difference uh, as just having the option. For the nine people who went through the program, it definitely helped. And their feedback was positive. They felt that this was a welcome initiative. They could talk to someone and they felt that the company, the company, this invisible entity cares about them. So it, it made sense for them. For the other people who didn't access this, I think it still made the difference that they had the option. So after the experiment, we decided to bring this as a permanent benefit for everyone. Although not many people access it today, 2022 now, we still have, I think, 15 people who are using this benefit. It's still something that they can access. They know that they have someone to talk to if they need to. Um, and I think this was one of the ways that we encouraged people to be open and 
try to navigate this stress and uncertainty together as a team. Although a lot of these factors are external, these stressors and the causes for this uncertainty, we try to find a way to be together in the, in the same boat. We also try to give people a bit more time off to encourage them to just spend time with family and recharge. And it's actually, uh, this was difficult because in a service company, it's very hard to give extra vacation days. And in the IT industry, this is one of the differentiators. As a product company, it's great. You can give 10 extra vacation days. As a service company, three extra vacation days are a sacrifice. They're actually, they're an invest, which is very challenging to plan for. But I think it's extremely rewarding because at the end of the day, people are tired after these two years. And this is one way where we can be there for them. And I think it's a way that really makes a difference benefit-wise, as opposed to game rooms and all sorts of financial benefits that don't really make a difference in how you're feeling. Not much I can add to that final sentences that you've said about game room, ping pong tables, free coffee, beer fridge, Fridays, and whatever. Really nice to have for kind of team building. Great. But true, the, the true change, the true benefit is individual work, understanding your needs and working through some difficulties that you, you might be going through and doing that with a professional. I, I think the therapist access to that absolutely amazing initiatives if 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 i rule the world in my in my one day rule the world i'll mandate therapy <laughs> for, for everyone i think we all benefit I've, I've been in therapy for many many years and working with a therapist and and it changed me and i think understanding your thought process what's important to you how you react in certain scenarios and why you do so and so on and so forth amazing benefits from that difficult don't get me wrong very very difficult right having to face up with certain fears and certain problems that you might have had in the past and 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 or have at the moment but nonetheless important work to be done and uh, i don't know whether you still whether you have the same feeling but i still often feel about that therapy for many people although it's been getting fantastically better over the past decade or so is that therapy is sometimes still seen as a, a sign of weakness on somebody's part. And in my book, it's completely the opposite. It's the sign of strength and willingness to, to face your fears. And that's not, that's not easy. And for organizations to encourage things like that, the access to that, amazing, especially considering what we've been going through in the world and in Europe over the past 10 years. And again, in Europe as well, at this moment in time. So being able to, to talk about this, and I think that's, that's the important bit that's missing because there's a lot of misinformation. Yes, there's a lot of different opinions and approaches and viewpoints on everything that's been going on. And it's not about conspiracy theories or anything like that. No, it's about having a discussion about this with one another, but then also having an opportunity to discuss some of the fears and things that make us anxious with a professional that can help us out and deal with these things. So I've been, I think it's absolutely amazing. Do you think it's something that you, the interest in this, in the therapist will continue growing with, within the team? Is there anything that you planning on doing to, to encourage more people to join it? Yeah, I think once people see that it's, uh, it's not something to be, like you said, ashamed of, or something that has a, some kind of negative connotation, I think the more people will start to see colleagues using this benefit and 
us just normalizing it, I think hope they will access it in, uh, in bigger numbers. I've also seen that the newer generations are much more open to this. So newer employees who are very excited to have this and are eager to enroll in this program. So I think this is definitely something we will be keeping and improving as the need arises. We also have mindfulness as, as an activity before the pandemic, we used to have every, every day, 15 minutes of mindfulness in a, in a room at the office. And it was all from the initiative of one colleague. So it wasn't a corporate mandated mindfulness session, but rather one person who was, Hey guys, would you like to try this? And then it became a daily thing. And now we, we use it, we use Headspace. We have a subscription to Headspace to encourage people to continue doing this and try mindfulness, try meditation, try connecting with themselves. And that's also something we keep, we're going to keep as a benefit and encouraging people to do. That's that's a great example of actually, you know, a culture is something that we all create. Everybody who's part of it creates the culture. And as you said, it, it shouldn't be something that we mandate as an organization or have a mindfulness moment. When it starts coming from people, these types of initiatives, that's a very good sign that everybody's pitching in and that they're kind of owning part of their culture, not just for themselves, but for the people around them. I'm actually curious, the the, the aspect of the therapist and some people taking it up and it hopefully becoming less of a, a taboo topic within the organization. Have you noticed any change, any connection between the transition that we're talking about earlier from transparency to openness and then people potentially accessing meetings and sessions with the therapist. Have you seen any connection or changes within the organization as a result of that? These two? No, I think it's still too early to, to pinpoint this. So, so far I, I've also been trying to be as objective as possible about this program. So I don't want it to seem like the HR person is looking into our sessions or trying to find out what went well and what went wrong. So I'm keeping it as, as I'm Switzerland on this. So Absolutely. No, as, 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 as you should, as you should. Yeah, I was yeah. more thinking of a kind of a general feel and atmosphere within your organization. Have you noticed any people maybe being teams being a little bit more open, a little bit more vulnerable, just again, on that more unaware subconscious level. So again, not asking here about details, but kind of general feel and perception of uh, what's been going on. One thing I noticed is that an increasing amount of feedback has come through our office vibe tool. And a lot of it actually references this therapist program as uh, when office vibe asks, so how is your company supporting your mental health or what do you think is a positive initiative that was implemented? Oftentimes people will mention this program and I think that's great. Even, even people who probably aren't using it yet are excited to have it there as an option. And I've noticed that. I feel like the feedback we're getting is a bit more consistent. A, there's a bit more sharing going on. Might just be me because I also want them to please fill out the survey, but I, it could be a, a combination of this. That's 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 good to hear. That's that's kind of what I was I was, I was thinking of when I was asked that question. Is that the little things? Uh, something's like oh may, maybe you probably you'll never be able to tell, and maybe that's also a good thing. But it's kind of the inkling. That's something that makes people a little bit more comfortable. This the subtle signals that we send to people around us that you know 
it's okay. You, 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 you can and, and should, if you want to feel safe around here to do all sorts of things, which is really good. So you've had a jam packed couple of years with all sorts of initiatives and, and different aspects of, of what you do within the organization, but with the culture and with the team. Uh, so I'm curious whether there's anything in particular outside maybe of what we've talked so far that you are working on in the next few months that you're really excited about introducing, working on, and some of the benefits it might bring. Is that I think my biggest concern right now is that we're probably going to scale up to 100 plus people this year and maybe go up to 200 next year. So I think this will be my next challenge, a way to, and I know that this is some sort of a cliche because everyone wants to keep their culture like this, a piece of museum art as they grow. And I know that's impossible because culture is, it's an animal in itself. It's, it's a living thing that will evolve without or despite my best efforts to keep it intact. So I hope I rise to this challenge of bringing in new people who are the same as who share our values and who have this inclination to make great products together. Absolutely. So yeah, scaling up is going to be the challenge. Scaling up is going to be the challenge. Okay. In, an interesting challenge. It's, it's a good challenge to have as well. But you're right in terms of culture being something that we want to keep hold of as much as we can. But the reality is it's a living organism. And as much as we want to control it, design it, facilitate it, do or something, whatever, we, there's only so much we can do. And as we said before, mostly because it's everybody that's involved in culture. Organizations often mistakenly think they don't have culture or, or they say, no, actually you, you do. It's just not necessarily a culture that you recognize and might, a culture that you might want to have. A toxic culture, for example, right? It's still a culture. I've, I've often come across this where when we talk about company culture, people think about the positive and the healthy aspect. That's when they've got culture. But when they don't have these positive, psychologically safe feedback, communication, all sorts of elements of their culture, they think they don't have one. Yes, unfortunately you do. It's just not the one that you might necessarily uh, want, which is, uh, which is important to, uh, to know. It's been an absolute joy and a pleasure talking to you. So thank you very much for, for taking the time. Best of luck with everything that you've got coming up. Scaling sounds exciting, so I'm sure you'll have your, your hands full. And I'm really looking forward to learning more about it in the coming months and years to see how, how things go. And once you've scaled to 100, 200 plus, I'd love to have you back on the, on the show to see what has, what has worked, what hasn't worked for you. Maybe that what hasn't worked for you would be probably most beneficial to, to learn for people. But as I said, thank you again and best of luck. Thanks a lot for the invitation. It's me again. Just one more thing before you take off. Head over to human.pm forward slash we got this. That's all one word where you can find this and previous episodes show notes, suggest a guest or topic, ask a question or join the community of other listeners. Until next time.